Developing new prescription medicine for market is a costly and oftentimes a futile endeavor, as drug makers can spend up to $2.6 billion only to see 12% of their candidates gain approval. When Pfizer fails on two out of three new drugs, retail investors have grown leery of the space. But companies like Aquis Pharmaceuticals, AQS.V, have found a way to bypass this massive regulatory and financial bottleneck by seeking out existing drugs approved in other countries and bringing them to Canada for market approval. Spending 12 to 18 months rather than the standard 8 to 10 years for new drug approval, Aquis also benefits from low fixed costs that allow the company to profitably operate in a relatively small marketplace such as Canada in niche areas including neurology, ophthalmology and transplant. Positioned for growth with 2 million cash in the till, Aquis is a steady bet in an uncertain industry. As such, Equity Guru's own Chris Perry spoke with company CEO and chairman Doug Jansen to get a better look at the company's unique de-risked approach and its potential for investors. Do you think that the market right now is, is catching on or is it still kind of one foot in, one foot out? Yeah, I think it's one foot in, one foot out. Um, it's, you know, when you're in, in, in life sciences, you know, the, you're always at risk of a delay, you know, from a regulatory perspective, you know, you're at risk of a delay because of a partner decision, things like that. So, uh, you know, we, like in 2020, here in 2020, especially the first half, we had some delays on products and, uh, you know, market, I think the market is, is fair in having one foot in, one foot out. Um, we're really executing the last six months have been great on execution. We're like I said, we're going to have another strong quarter and more products to launch. And, uh, we think you know attention is going to get paid here through certainly through 2021 based off of where we are with the business i guess you know old school uh, uh biotech enthusiasts and pharma enthusiasts were, were there for the chance that one day news pops out that says we got approval for something and the stock price triples yeah. um, to your credit back in august you know you had that situation yeah. with a, a much lesser requirement for capex yeah stock went from six and a half cents to 15 cents in a couple of days yeah back of some approval so uh i think i guess rather than being a company that has all its eggs in one basket for an approval that might take three years to come having smaller approvals on a regular basis every few months seems to be a much better uh, investment opportunity i would think yeah and, and you know as the revenues you know as revenues start approaching you know a million dollars a quarter uh you know we're, we're a bit away from that, but we're going to hit that in, in, in 2021. You know, the business starts turning to cash flow positive and, you know, you can start really seeing how those revenues get to a point where they're, you know, it's, it's 10 million in revs, um, mm -hmm. the product lineup. We think with the, the three Evolve products, you know, the, our current basket of assets, we think can generate between 10 and 15 million in annual revenues. Uh, so that's a... That the U.S.? Yeah, that's without the U.S. Yeah, so that's that's a profitable business that you really then can start maybe taking bigger bets or looking at other territories to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the pharmaceutical model in, in in Australia is really similar to Canada. You know, super high quality medicine, well educated clinical groups, but this big big geographic country with not a lot of people in it. Um, so it's not a huge market for global pharma. Mm -hmm. We kind of like about Canada and what the concept of Australia is, even though Canada's big, 80% of us are in three urban centers. You know, right. so you, you don't need a, you don't need to cover 
Saskatchewan with sales reps. You know, you can you can cover it in, in different ways. So it's a, an efficient market. And uh, you know, a little anecdote is uh, I remember when I was running you know cardio at, at, at the previous drug company. I met with a, a group in in Italy called the Maneri family. So Maneri Pharmaceuticals is one of the oldest uh, Italian pharmaceuticals. It's been in a family, and you know, I had a meeting with them uh, around our product. And I kind of asked, like, "What's your guys? You know, tell me a little bit about your business." And they were like, "You know, we've been Italy only. We only focus on that one market. We have the best relationships with government, with clinicians. Um, we've been profitable." For the last 110 years, every year except during once during the war, and you know, it was at a time where I would be in New York or Boston with the go-go biotech hedge fund managers who want your company to double every you know two years in valuation. So those are really risky businesses, and I looked at you know this group. So you know the great great grandson of the original guy. They've kept you know. They all just looked so happy. <laughs> they all looked so calm, and they all had that. They all knew they had a business that had real value, and it wasn't going to go away. Like it, it wasn't technology based. It wasn't you know, one product based. It was this really sweet business. And I kind of was like, like that's where I'm. That's what we're trying to get here with Aquis. Have a business much like we've seen with Pal. Like I mentioned, the, the Goodman family and Paladin and Knight. You know they built really big businesses like this in Canada. We, uh, we're, we're, we're looking to build out to the same way. What's the bigger limitation to you? That the, the uh, potential products that you can bring on and work with or the cash required to bring on those, those products? You know, it's, uh, it used to be more the cash. Now it's kind of a mix of both. Um, if, you have a, if you have a really good product idea that stands out, that you've identified the risks well and you've been able to kind of Make a plan on how you assess that. You know, there, there is capital that you can go find. People were willing to invest in it. So for us, it's it's just getting to that kind of critical mass. You know, when you're doing, even though if you're you know, even when you're growing revenues, you know, quarter over quarter, but when it's like 250k a quarter, it, you know, people will come see you in a couple of years, right? So now that we're now that people are seeing a clear path, how we get to, you know, uh, quarterly revenues at like you know, at a million bucks, and how that leads to profitability, and we keep growing on that. I think the audience will grow the same way our revenues grow. Right. There's there's obviously a lot of people out there that would love to see you burning out products every two weeks. Uh, is there a temptation there for you to fast track things to, to just to keep that ball moving and grow, or, or are you really sort of disciplined in your approach? You know, we kind of saw what happened in 2015 where Valiant, Concordia, you know, that that was a model like go raise a, raise a whole bunch of, of, of junk debt and use it to go buy generic assets and then try to you know compete with each other to buy more of them um th that really ended spectacularly bad so we we we'd love to do transactions faster but they have to be good yeah so the rate limiting step usually is finding you know, where can you find products does it make a business case in canada and what does it look like to get it approved it's right. uh, you know kind of the biggest challenge in our space is we're a small market country as far as revenues but we have our own health authority and we have our own pricing authorities and uh you, you gotta like those are the, the the rate those are the brakes on the on the you know on the, on the, on the pedal 
uh, for our businesses. How you know, how do you get how do you get both of them satisfied? So that takes time, and sometimes certain products just won't have the chance with healthcare. So I guess that gives you a moat as well. It stops uh, the bigger guys from coming in and just crashing. Yeah, it's true. It's a uh, you know if you're running a massive private equity fund, you know you look at companies like us when they have a material amount of revenues or products with a material amount of revenues. They're you know the big sharks aren't swimming in the shallow water that we do. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, one good product turned around into uh, a lot of money. Yeah. Let's talk about the cash situation at the moment. Uh, what sort of cash does the company have on hand? Uh, what's the, the burn rate or the runway? Uh, and how, how close are you to break even? So we have, uh, in Q3, we had a net loss of 220000 Um we have about two and a half million of cash on hand. Uh, sorry, Q3, Q2, we haven't reported Q3 yet, my apologies. Uh, the So kind of that 200,000 side, we're gonna have a, you know, a bit more of launch costs and, and marketing costs as we here in Q4, um, as we as we move evolve forward. But we, we think our, we, we wanna have our burn, you know, rapidly getting into like under 200,000. You know, as we get you know, per quarter, as we get into uh, you know, kind of mid 2020, mm-hmm. sorry, 2021, and then you know, be like a chip shot away from being able to drive that into profitability. Got it. So, if you did need to raise any money in the future, it would be about growth opportunities. It wouldn't be about keeping the lights on. Yeah, we don't need. We're, we're fine on the light side, you know, right now. But definitely, for the right product opportunities, we would we would do something. There's that low risk again. What to say? It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how your view changes when it's your own money, as, <laughs> as opposed to just investors' money. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no more hundred million dollar write downs. Or he and I have done that. Yeah, on scar tissue. So you've got those three products that you've been talking about that are at, at various points of either being approved or, or close to approved. What comes next? Uh, it, there's a few more that we're looking at with our, with our partners at Medicom. Um, there's a few assets, up to assets in Canada that are owned by bigger entities that you know we really want you know to, to see if we get them get them into our bag. Uh, things that would be material to us, but really aren't getting the attention for like a Novartis or, or yep. you know Allergan, these hundred billion dollar businesses. So you know we're like we've got a great sales team, sales management. Uh, you know, our commercial team is strong. Myself and, and the senior management here in Vancouver, we spend pretty well all of our time on trying to find new products. And uh, so it's, it's just that that's our constant kind of thing that gets us going and gets us excited. And uh, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of discussions at various stages of, you know, of, of, of development. And uh, we've never gone more than two quarters without a new product announcement. And, I don't think we're we're not looking to change that tempo. So there's not likely to be any extended periods of quiet while you guys are just uh, peddling. Uh, you've you've got uh, you've got the growth plan well afoot. Yeah, we uh, you know, and the more products you have, the more opportunities you have to generate revenues and have discussions. Uh, and yeah, we're we you know, we feel good about the position that we're in. And those products are existing products with with market share and revenue. They're not stuff that you'd need to go and spend twenty million bucks to promote. No, they're you know, they, they're, they're products that are approved. 
in some territory, like UK, US, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing known entities into Canada. I guess a, a lot of investors are looking for that billion dollar upside that the, right. they wake up and find the five, five or 10 bagger. Uh, the, the products that you have there are, are getting or have approval in, the, in Canada. What is the, the realistic upside of the potential for US distribution? You know, for when we look at the U.S., we would take a measured approach around working with pharmacy benefit managers and, and things like that. Like I think putting a 500-person sales force across the U.S. Yeah. is not in our not in our future. Right. Um, but when you think about the type of products that we have, these these branded generics or, or slightly improved kind of you know, generic meds, um, you know, you, you get a you get a few good pharmacy benefit managers and you do a deal with Walgreens and a deal with Walmart and, and that's that's 30 million in revenue pretty quickly. Um, so it's a, it's a different model, it, like there's different opportunities in the US and you know, from our, when we think about it, you know, there's, there's a lot of really experienced pharmacy benefit managers and, and, and pharma players and it's just, it's just finding the right avenue like we've done in Canada to become relevant and beneficial to a certain disease setting and um, then you, you, you take the same kind of shotgun approach at it mm-hmm. so it's a potential it's not something that you're going to go run around putting on page three of the presentation but you know the option is there if the right opportunity comes along yeah and like when we you know there's a whole bunch of multi-billion dollar products in the u.s on the market that's not what we're looking to go do we're looking to you know, do take what we've done in canada and and you know, usually the U.S. is 10 to 20 times revenue market of Canada. Mm-hmm. Instead of working on $5 million Canadian products, be able to start working on 40 to $50 million U.S. products. Got it. And build out that, that same way. Got it. We mentioned earlier the, uh, the heavily speculative, uh, heavily hyped sectors like psychedelics, etc. cetera. Uh, do you see any opportunities if, if, touching into those markets in cannabis, for example? Uh, with what you do, if there was a, a, a really good product that we could see, you know, had a defined benefit to, to patients, and there was a, you know, there was a, an opportunity to go make money from it, yeah, we, we would definitely be interested in that. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's more based around, you know, if it's only the hype of the development, you know, we don't, we don't get into that game, um, you know, because we, we don't own the product, uh, and we're not willing to pay to develop it ourselves. But if someone, you know, there were groups. In the cannabis space, that are products that we're really quite interested in, um, they all kind of fizzled out when you actually tested them in clinical trials. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of a lot of claims around cannabis, but there's only a small few places where it really has a, a, a real clinical utility that you can measure. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to be in that big retail basket, you know, that trying to sell it to you know the non-medical side, trying to, to sell it through. You know, store shops and things like that. That was never no called FX. Yeah, we, we, we couldn't we couldn't do that. Um, so we're we're pretty agnostic around areas that we'd be willing to go work in. It's more around just like does the math work? And with those products, is it less that they don't pass clinical trials, or is it that no one seems to be doing any fucking clinical trials? Yeah, usually. Uh, it, you know, think about the money that was raised and spent in the space if. If doing clinical trials would have unlocked huge value, you would have seen a lot of them do it. 
Yeah. I, I think that didn't happen because you know the, the the benefit often is hard to measure in a clinical setting and it's super varied from person to person. Right. So it's just a hard space to do real traditional kind of work. And you know, maybe there will be good ideas now that there's zero speculative hype in the space. <laughs> so you're not, you know, at least the costs have come down to reflect, you know, kind of the risks that you have. Huh. So that, that there, there could be chances there. Now, by no sense am I an expert on the psychedelics, but I do know a number of like neurologists, pain specialists, like real smart clinicians. And uh, there is a belief, there, there's, a, there's a bigger belief that there's places where the psychedelics will have a measurable clinical benefit that you can mm-hmm. work stuff or some of the things like PTSD and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not as, that, that area, that, that market wouldn't be as widespread as what, you know, cannabis claimed at their height, but it, that does seem to be, you know, I think there will be clinical trials that people are going to in the psychedelic space. Good luck. Hopefully it works well. Look, I, th- I think it's it's commendable that, that, that there's potential there for you, for Equus to to touch on those spaces. But despite that potential, that your your attitude has been there's nothing there yet. So we're not going to talk about it. We're going to stick to what we actually know is there and what we have. Uh, and that just sort of follows along with the my belief that you guys will be around in 20 years. And and uh, anything that does pop up in that space on the hype train is is probably going to go up and go down in that time. Yeah, we like you're allowed to sell cannabis in Canada based off of the, the personal use, you know, kind of medical. But it's not it's not you know, no one's taken it forward in Canada from a drug perspective. Mm-hmm. So so to actually have clinical data really convince clinicians uh, to generate reimbursement and really drive products like what what we normally do, mm-hmm. it, it hasn't been any anything that's got there yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know outside of a few small examples in epilepsy there really hasn't been there's been a whole bunch of a whole bunch of claims and a whole bunch of you know personal kind of use and, and personal experiences that people relate like it's helped me for this or it's helped me for that there's long been applications for glaucoma yeah exactly and it's just but it's never came close to success in a clinical trial especially against an active therapy Got it. So, we would we're open to anything that we can reasonably market to, to medical professionals that can generate us revenue and not take a huge amount of capex mm-hmm. it just never showed up in that space well man i, I want to congratulate you on what you've built so far you've done everything that you said you were going to do um which you know put you ahead of 90 percent of guys that are out there and uh i'm really keen to see what you can bring in the next three six twelve months yeah we're we're really looking forward to back like the last little bit of this year and then as we head into head into the 2021 based off of you know the current roster of products you know for us like you know i'm i'm in downtown vancouver i look at the hotels and the restaurants and you know the just the devastation that COVID has done to those some of these industries but you know healthcare has been great throughout this whole process people want to take their glaucoma meds because going blind is the result um mm-hmm. People want to treat their dry eye disease because it's painful, and you know your eyes are. <laughs> people are pretty attached to their eyes on a lot of different levels. Right. And so, so you know, it's uh, it, you know, we're we feel just fortunate to be in the right place at this crazy time. Well, it's good to be uh, doing good out in the world, and also making money doing it. 
Doug, thanks very much for your time, man. Thanks. Thank you.